You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ogi Ogui, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Praise the Lord. Alright, let's go into today's teaching because it's actually quite lengthy. Oh, glory. How many of you enjoyed last week's teaching? Yeah, how many of you have listened to it again? You downloaded it from the site and you listened to it. Please download it from the site and listen to it. Listen the the faintest ink lasts longer than the sharpest memory. Do you understand? And um, at Circle Church, James chapter one. You know, sometimes I want to make a point, then I realize it's just better to show you what the Bible says than to start talking for hours. James chapter 1. This is not the teaching. This is... Why is Echo Church? Open the Bible. Verse 21. Thank you. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. Alright, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Next verse. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And many times we read this portion of scripture and what we are thinking James is talking about is, oh, a doer of the word is one who hears the word and puts what he has heard into practice. Well, that's an angle to it. But he explains himself. Next verse. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Next verse. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So, the doer of the word is one who doesn't forget the word. You understand? That's what James is saying. The one who hears the word, but doesn't do it, is one who forgets the word. Do you get that? Great. So, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what manner of man he was. Next verse. He now says, but the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres. So, what does he mean by perseveres? He does not forget. He continues to look into it. You see? So, he's describing a doer now. He doesn't say, the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and puts into practice. He says, the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres. What does it mean by perseveres? He perseveres in looking into it. You understand? Be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So what is his doing? He's persevering in looking into the perfect law of liberty. Do you understand? Listen, this is how the word of God changes you. Everything in the gospel comes by grace. Through faith. And works will always be a result. Not a prerequisite. Do you understand? Which means that whatever it is the Bible asks you. Or whatever pattern of lifestyle the Bible shows you to live according to. Is not a work you should do. But a grace you should receive. Do you get what I'm saying? For example, if the Bible says, don't steal, it's not a work you should do, but a grace received that you should walk in. Praise the Lord. So what I'm saying is, God doesn't expect you to keep the commandments of not stealing by your own power. Rather, He expects you to know that He has empowered you to keep the commandment and therefore you keep it. You follow now? Good. So when you think about it that way, how does God produce in you? When you think about it that way rather, what you realize is the consciousness of God's word is what matters. Do you understand? That's why Paul said, little children of whom I travel in prayer till Christ is formed in you. He has preached to these people before. So it's not like they are unbelievers. They are not unbelievers. They are Christians. But what does he mean till Christ is formed in you? Till there is a solid knowledge of the things Christ has done in you. Do you follow what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. 
So at a point in your life, you believed that, oh, demons, whenever they come around, I should go hide. Because, ah, there are levels to this Christianity thing, oh, not everybody has power to cast out devils. But then you were taught differently. You heard it the first time. Maybe peradventure you came across a demon-possessed person and you cast out the devil and it was, wow. You don't stop listening because now I've done it, I'm used to it. No. You keep hearing it because if you don't keep hearing it, the devil will deceive you. Do you follow? And that's why in Circle Church, we are very, very intentional about repetition. Some teachings, I do them twice a year under different names. How many of you have noticed? Some teachings, I do them twice a month under different names. In January, I was talking about evangelism. Repeatedly, about three, four, five times in the month of January, I kept repeating the exact same teaching. Why? Repetition is what creates action in the life of the believer. You know what I'm saying? So, you don't take, you don't take the word of God and say, Oh, I heard it once. So that's okay. I don't need to hear it again. I already know what you are saying. No. I'm talking about head knowledge here now. See, Christ is formed in you. Praise the Lord. So all this large talk is so that you will go to the website and download the messages. <laughs> Alright, there's a reason we invested in having a website, making sure that the messages are clear enough for you to listen to. And putting them up on the website every week. Why? Because we believe, we know that a doer of the word is one who consistently looks at the word. So there are things that you've been taught. How many of you, maybe you had a journal you used to document your um, experiences when you were in secondary school. And then you, you had learned all those things before. But then you didn't really, really go back to that journal. And then suddenly, maybe years later, you open that journal and you're reading through it. And you're like, I, I, I know these things. How many of you have that happened to before? This is the point. So, when you are taught in church, the reason why you come to church with a notepad and a pen is so that you can write, you can take back, you can look at it. But we don't stop there. We record the message, we put it up on the side so you can download it, listen to it, and keep listening to it. I'm the one that preached the message, but, but I listen to the messages myself. Because it's important to do so. Praise the Lord. Else, the things that you know, you will forget that you know. And there's nothing worse than knowing something. And then when you need it, you don't know that you know it. Then later you find that, ah, this thing I needed that time. I actually knew it. Maybe it has happened to you in an exam before. You find out that the actual answer to this question is this thing that I know very well. But I flopped it. It's not good for you. Alright, let's go into today's teaching. (laughs) Now I have to rush. Alright, relationship pillars. For those of you that are laughing because I said (laughs) alright. Okay, relationship pillars. (laughs) You guys, I can't help myself. Is how I am. Alright, number one, communication. I'm going to skip all the introduction. Relationship pillars are pillars of relationship. You know that. Great, communication number one. <laughs> okay, so I said every relationship rises and falls on communication. And then I said, and, and this, these pillars are not just for romantic relationships. I know that this... Um, Month we are considering romantic relationships and stuff. But this, these things I'm talking about are not just from romantic relationships. Your relationship with God, too. Your relationship with your friends, your bosses, people around you. So um, these, these pillars are kind of like what drives every relationship. How you ought to think, how you ought to behave when you want to relate with one another. So I said number one is communication. And I said a few things to note about communication. Um, I'll talk about the non-scriptural parts before I enter into proper Bible teaching so that we can balance it out. Number one, 93% of all communication is non-verbal. I'm sure you've heard that before, right? Right? 93% of all communication is non-verbal. 
This is why what you say and how you say it are equally important. Praise the Lord. What you say and how you say it are equally important. Some of us, and I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay a lot of emphasis on dating relationships because that's what we're doing this month. Some of us, you are in a dating relationship. You offend your spouse. Your spouse is angry. And so you're sorry now. You said sorry, but how you said it matters. In fact, sometimes how it is said is more important than what is said. Is that true? Is that true? Only the people in relationships are not in there. <laughs> Sometimes, how it is said is more important than what exactly was said. And so, you must be careful to make sure that you are passing out the right information, both verbally and non-verbally. Because, for example, you have a lady. Let me let me use this example. I know... Um, so, both of you have been talking for months now. This guy then asks you out. You say, oh no, I don't really see you that way. <laughs> and then, you let him down, you know? But your actions still say, I want us to be together. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're sending mixed information. Because what you are saying, and how you are saying it, they don't match. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes in the heat of being physical, as a couple, maybe you guys are, everybody, we all have hormones and we all have points of attraction. You should be attracted to the person you are dating. I don't care how Christian you are. You must be attracted to the person. Else you will cheat later in life, male or female. Good. So, you guys get physical at some point, or you're about to get physical, and you've agreed you won't get physical. And then, you're telling yourself, stop it now. Stop now. (laughs) What you are saying, and how you are saying it, they're not matching up. So, the first thing you need to know about communication is that what you say and how you say it are equally important. Listen, your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend says something or does something to hurt your feelings. You want to correct the person. What you say and how you say it are equally important. Some of us get condescending. Do you know? You get very condescending in the way you are saying what you are saying. So, the person is hearing your words, but he's hearing or she's hearing more than the words. You are speaking. You are being condescending. You know what it means to be condescending? How many of you don't know what it means to be condescending? Okay. I don't know how to explain it. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> oh, my God. But, okay. Mm. I want to say insulting, but it's not really, really insulting. It's like you're talking down. You're belittling the person in what you are saying. Uh-uh, now you should know better than that, Joe. Every time you're behaving like a child. Now, the person has wronged you. It is true. The person needs to be corrected. It is true. But how you correct the person is equally important. Even children, how you correct children is important. Is that true? So, the first thing to note about communication is that 93% of all communication is non-verbal. This means that communication... Is much about what you say and how you say it. Alright, number two. Learn to communicate in mutual respect for one another. Don't let your words pull down. Learn to communicate in mutual respect for one another. Don't be the kind of person that... Every time you open your mouth to talk, you are belittling the person. You are belittling the next person. You are putting them in their place. It's wrong. Listen, you are a Christian. Your words can either edify or destroy. Will you listen to what I'm saying? 
you are dating somebody and every day you remind him, you know that you are not in the same classroom. Something's wrong with you. <laughs> you just don't know it yet. Learn to communicate out of mutual respect for one another. Guys, learn to communicate. Boys make a mistake with this thing so terribly, so many times. Learn to communicate out of mutual respect for one another. If she does something worth applauding, applaud her. Don't take glory for it. You know there's a way guys like to take glory for the things that their babes do. She's my babe. I told her to do it. Can't you just say she did it? That's what you say. <laughs> Number three. I'm rushing. I'm sorry. Number three. Avoid repetition of the past. Avoid repetition of the past. I'll explain myself. So write this down. Let your communication focus on the present by drawing from the past. Let your communication focus on the present by drawing lessons from the past while paving a way for the future. So, your communication focuses on the present. It draws lessons from the past. And it paves the way for the future. So, what I mean is, avoid saying things like, See, you always do this. And I don't like it. That's terrible. Because when you do that, you put the person on defensive. Is that true? Is that true? You always talk like I'm the one that's... You always talk like I'm, the, I'm, I'm always wrong in this relationship. The problem is this. You cannot safely have an argument about the past. Because some details will be left out or forgotten. Is that correct? So you start saying what the person didn't say. And the person will start saying things that he didn't say too. And then you people will just be flying over each other. And the argument seems to never end. Is that true? To avoid it. Rather, what you can do is constructively. Constructively. Listen, instead of saying, you always... Um, okay, so for example, you always treat me like um, I don't matter. You see, that's a very general... It's a generic statement. Instead of saying that, remind him, last week Friday, you did this and this. I don't like it. You see, you are drawing a lesson from the past... While paving the way for the future. Amen. So this leads me to my next point. Learn to listen. Because some of some of us, we have a giddy. We don't listen. A young man was telling me, a young man called me, 4 a.m. Pastor, that I have something to discuss with you, 4 a.m. <laughs> I was, like, I don't sleep early. Most times. Most times I sleep by like 1, 2. So it's terrible if you call me by 4 a.m. Most of you that have called you by 4 a.m. know that I go straight to the point. Sometimes I snap at you. If you, if you start to misbehave, I can snap at you. Because I just slept and I want to sleep. And then this guy called me pastor. Can you imagine what my babe did? 4 a.m. That was the only thing that was in my head. This guy called me by 4 a.m. To whine about his babe. 4 a.m. I said, what's the matter? He said, how can she say that I'm, not, I'm insensitive? How can she claim that I'm insensitive? I listened to him rant. And when I finished listening to him rant, I told him, brother, you are insensitive. <laughs> you are proving her point. For many reasons. Number one, you can't call me by 4 a.m. to complain about your babe. Number two, if a babe says you are insensitive... The sensitive thing to do is to say, how am I insensitive? Teach me how to be sensitive. But once you start to rant and you start to get angry that she said you are insensitive, you are insensitive. You don't listen. <laughs> and the same goes for ladies too. A couple of days ago, a brother of mine called me. He told me my babies don't feel like my babe acts like she loves me enough. I called and I said, she said, no. He expect, I said, see, listen. Forget that you think he expects too much. Ask him what he wants. Like, it's simple. Listen. Stephen Covey said, 
The problem with people is that they don't listen to understand, they listen to respond. Have you met people like that? So you are talking, they're nodding. Mm-hmm. 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 Then they just enter in the middle. You just stop right there. <laughs> you're not listening to understand, you're listening to respond. And as long as you're always, you know that's what happens on Twitter. People don't read to understand. They read to respond. This morning I had an argument with a lady on Facebook. I said, um, as far as the gospel goes, the gospel is that Christ came to save sinners from their sin. It really has nothing to do with your wealth or your health or your best life now. The lady is there shouting that me am proof that Christ, that um, following God can help you, that God gives that God can bless, that God is not stingy, that I don't know what has happened to you to make you this miserable in your life. I, I kid you not, she wrote those things to me. I don't know what has happened to you to make you this miserable in your life, but whatever it is, go and truly seek God and follow Him, and He will give you. He's not a stingy God. So I said to her, young lady, I actually called her young lady, I didn't care her age, because she was living like a child. Young lady, have I said anything in my post that God doesn't provide or give? She said no. I said good. Now reread my statement and tell me what you understood from it. And she read and said, oh I get your point now. I misunderstood you. I said thank you. Have a lovely day. Many times, in fact many times when I tweet and somebody starts arguing I just say reread the tweet. Just reread it. Because I know you didn't read it the first time. You just saw one line, you were triggered and you just moved. So now with your untriggered mind, stop go back, reread then tell me what you understand. Because many people don't listen to understand. Many people are listening to respond. Even in relationships. And listen to what I'm saying. And it's bad. It is bad. Because if there is no understanding in a relationship, that relationship is going to fall. Praise the Lord. So I've told you, pay attention, listen. Number four, number five now, ba? Number five, right? Alright. And this is the one that's going to take us some time. Speak honestly and harbor no grudges. Many people think this is very easy, but most relationships have, most relationships are built on a foundation of grudges. You can come and sit down now. Most relationships are built on a foundation of grudges. Serious grudges. They are happy with each other. They are smiling every day. What they are waiting for is a trigger. Just trigger. Oh my God. <laughs> and I want to use somebody from... Okay, let me finish that. Um, I said, speak honestly and have no grudges. Be quick to state how a person's actions make you feel. Be quick to state how your spouse's actions, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your spouse's actions, be quick to state how they make you feel. Don't wait. Some of you say, I'm, I'm just watching you, your cup will soon be full. <laughs> Why do you have a cup for the person in the first place? Why? I'm just watching you. The day this your cup will full, you will see me. Now you don't know I'm a mad person. <laughs> and what happens is what the emotion might start out as hurt. Something small. Something that I'm sorry would fix. Do you, do you get? It will start out that way. And what will happen is because you have harbored that grudge, you've kept it inside, it goes from hurt to anger and frustration. Because he did it the first time, you didn't say anything. He did it again, the third time, fourth time, fifth time, you're now angry and frustrated. Anger and frustration eventually leads to bitterness. Because you feel like a caged animal. You feel like you're caged in your own relationship. You're not saying anything about it. You're just bottling it up on your inside. And before you know what's going on, everything he or she does will be irritating you. How many of you have been at that place before? It did not start that day. You won't raise your hand now because you don't want us to know that you've been bitter before. <laughs> raise your hand, Jerry. <laughs> it didn't start that day. 
that place where everything she does, everything he does, annoys you. It didn't start that day. It started from a series of grudges that you harbored in your heart. And you did not fix. Let me give you a biblical example. Second Samuel chapter 16 verse 15 to 23. So we're going to do a lot of Bible study right now. Samuel, Second Samuel 16, 15 to 23. Second Samuel 16, 15 to 23. Open your Bibles. I'm waiting. Open your Bibles. Uh-uh. Let me just turn your faces to the screen. Open your Bibles. Thank you very much. Alright, put stuff on the screen. It says, Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem. And Ahithophel with him. Absalom was David's kid. David's son. I think his first son, actually. And Ahithophel... With him. Next verse. And when Hushai the Archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. Next verse. He now said, And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? So Absalom was asking Hushai, Is this how you show loyalty to David? Alright. Because Absalom was trying to overthrow David as king. David had gone out for battle. Alright. So this was going on. Why did you not go with your friend? That's why didn't Hushai go with David to battle? Next verse. And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and these people and all the men of Israel have chosen, him I will be, and with him I will remain. So Hushai inadvertently said, that well, the people have chosen you to be king, and I believe that God has also chosen you to be king, so I'm going to also follow you as king. Next verse. And he now said, And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father, so will I serve you. Next verse. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What shall we do? Next verse. Ahithophel said to Absalom, Listen, this, look at what Ahithophel says to Absalom. He's a whole king's advisor. And this is what he says. Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And Israel would hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father. And the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. Have you ever heard that prayer that you will not have friends with the council of Ahithophel? That is what they're talking about. He advised Ahithophel. He said, go and sleep with your father's concubines. Actually, ten of them. Ten of them. And he didn't just do it um, inside. He did it publicly. So that all of Israel will know that he's rebelling and revolting against his dad. You understand? Next verse. So they pitched a tent for Absalom and on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. In the sight of all Israel. Ten women. He took ten of them. Publicly. Following somebody's advice. Would you think that kind of a person is a wise person to follow? But next verse. Now, in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed by both David and Absalom. So Ahithophel was also David's advisor. The guy was actually a wise man. But look at the advice he gave his son. (laughs) Doesn't sound very wise. Okay, maybe he was playing Game of Thrones. You know, there was a whole strategy going on. Next, next chapter, next verse. So, chapter, next verse 1. Chapter 16, verse 1. 17, verse 1. It says, moreover, so Absalom continues to advise, um, Ahithophel continues to advise Absalom. He says, let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. <laughs> next verse. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged. And throw him into a panic. And all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king. Next verse. And I will bring all the people back to you. As a bride comes back to her husband. You seek the life of only one man. And all the people will be at peace. Next verse. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom. And all the elders of Israel. Ahithophel wanted to take 12,000 men. And go and kill David. When David was in battle. But next verse. Then Absalom said. Call Hushai the Archite also. And let us hear what he has to say. Next verse. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus hath Ahithophel spoken. 
Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Next verse. Then Hushai said to Absalom, This time, the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Look at why. Next verse. He said, You know that your father and his men are mighty men. That they are enraged like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Besides, your father is an expert in war. He will not spend the night with his people. With the people. Listen, when Hushai said, your father and his men are mighty men, you might think, oh, they were just good soldiers. No, they were mighty men. Let me read some of their exploits to you. So let's go to Second Samuel 23. We'll read verse 8 to 39, but we'll skip some verses. Second Samuel 23. Let's talk about David and his men. Second Samuel 23. So you understand why Ahithophel's counsel, this counsel was very stupid. It was really stupid. Second Samuel 23. <laughs> are you there? He says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Um, that guy, uh, that place, he was chief of the three. He says, he wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. One man, 800 with a spear, he killed everybody. It's not that they were standing and waiting for him. They were fighting against him. One man, one spear, 800 at once. Next verse. <laughs> and next to him, among the three mighty men, was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, and son of Ahohi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines, who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. Next verse. Look at this. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. One man against the Philistines. He held the sword till his hand was clung. Like he couldn't let go of the sword. And he killed all the Philistines. All one man. <laughs> Next verse. <laughs> no, these are the people that Ahithophel was going to fight against. Next verse. <laughs> and next to him was Shammah, son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. Next verse. And he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines and the Lord walked a great victory. How many men now? One man. against. So it was like he saw the other guy against Philistines and said, I will do my own too. And he went to do it. One man. Next verse. There's one part that kills me. Let me see. Yes, this is it. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam. When a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim, next verse, David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. So, next verse. And David said longingly, Oh, that somebody would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Now, look at what these men decided to do because David was thirsty. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water out of the well of Bethlehem, that was by the gate and carried it and broke out. They brought it back to David. But he would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord. When he says, <laughs> they broke through the camp of Philistines, it's not like they sneaked into it too. And it's not like, oh, the camp of Philistines was empty. There were soldiers in the camp. But because David was thirsty, these three men, they took swords and killed their way to the well, fetched the water and killed their way out. And gave David the water and he poured it away. <laughs> this is what Ahithophel wants to go and fight. You will die. <laughs> so everybody knew it wasn't a wise counsel. <laughs> but because Ahithophel said it, the elders said, ah, it, must be cool. it must be right. Because it's Ahithophel. He's wise. What would make a man who was considered to be so wise to now be considered to be foolish? To give such foolish advice? Here's what you don't know. Second Samuel 11. We'll read verse 1 to 5 and 14 to 17. We're building a story, so just take note. Second Samuel 11, verse 1 to 5, and then verse 14 to 17. Are you there? He says, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. You know the story, right? David sends Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Next verse. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Next verse. 
And David sent and inquired about the woman and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Next verse. So um, David sent messengers and took her and then she returned to the house. He lay with her. She returned to the house. Next verse. Um, and the woman conceived and she sent and told David I'm pregnant. Let's go to verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by hand to Uriah. That's her husband. Next verse. So look at this. David wrote a letter to Joab and sent Uriah to deliver the letter to Joab. What was the content of the letter? In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting. And then draw back from him that he may be struck down. So he sent Uriah with his own death sentence to deliver the letter to the person that will will carry it out. Next verse. (laughs) And as Job Job was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew they were valiant men. Next verse. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Now you will ask, what does this have to do with Ahithophel? Well, go back to 2 Samuel 23. Wait, before we go back to 2 Samuel 23, go back to verse 2. Verse 3, actually, of 2 Samuel 11. Okay, so, and David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? So take note of the fact that she was daughter of Eliam. Now let's go to 2 Samuel 23, verse 34. Eliphath, the son of Ashabai, Ahashbai, of Makkah, and Eliam, the son of who? The son of who? So Bathsheba was Eliam's granddaughter. So you see what that advice was given Absalom? Was trying to get back at David. In the same way, David betrayed his family. Do you understand? You don't get. Remember, in Second Samuel 11, verse 3, we established that Bathsheba was Eliam's daughter. Right? Good. So, David slept with Bathsheba. David did many things. He slept with Bathsheba, killed her husband, married her, then kept her inside the house. Alright? And that's, that's a big embarrassment to her family. Do you understand? Big embarrassment to her family. So, Ahithophel, who was her grandfather, and David's trusted advisor, must have heard that what David did to his granddaughter and his family, not just his granddaughter, but his son-in-law. Do you get what I'm saying? And in Jewish um, tradition, once a man marries, all families become one. Do you understand? So, your son-in-law becomes your son. And at such, he's one of the prides of your... Like, of your... He's one of your pride. You know how Jewish people were proud of their sons? So, as it were, because David killed Uriah, he killed Ahithophel's son. Do you follow? And so, Ahithophel was mad. He was enraged and bitter. But he didn't say anything. He waited. Till Absalom came... And he decided that just like you took my son, I will take your son. Do you understand? And just like you took my son's wife in the open. You took my son's wife and it was news every... Your son will take your wife. Do you follow? So all the counsel Ahithophel was giving, all that bad advice, was because he was bitter. Do you see? It's what bitterness can do to a person. All that bad advice was because he was bitter. And he harbored it inside of him. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5. This is what the writer of Hebrews has to say about bitterness. Hebrews 12 5. It says, sorry, is it Hebrews 12 5 I want to read? Just hold on a minute. Hebrews 12 15, not 5. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. He says that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many defiled. 
Bitterness, bitterness defiles you. Are you listening to what I'm saying? It corrupts you inside. It rottens your inside. Listen, as a Christian, God should be the reason you are alive. He should drive your every decision. He should command your desires. But here's what... Bitterness removes God from that place of command and puts anger and revenge as the thing commanding your life. So you see somebody who is bitter and every waking moment he or she spends it plotting to get a revenge against the other person. Let me ask you a question. In both people, who is going through punishment? The bitter person. Because you are living your whole life plotting revenge against somebody that probably doesn't know he hurts you. Are you following what I'm saying? And many relationships run like this. Many of us seated here unknowingly have a root of bitterness springing on our inside. Kill it now. Learn to arrest hurt early. Oh, you said... Now, listen, there's wisdom in doing these things. Many times, if you know you're not the kind of person who can control your your words when you are hurt, chill. Alright? So don't, at that moment of being angry, start shouting. No, calm down. Then go back later and say, you said so-and-so at so-and-so time. It really hurt my feelings. Many friendships have been broken. For things that people did not know they did. Do you understand? Ah! I was going through so, so, so. And this person, he just called. And just talked anyhow. He did not even ask me how I'm doing. What you don't know is that he doesn't know. Say no, he did it deliberately. That he knows I've been looking for a car. That's why he now decided that he'll be driving to my house every day to show me that he has a car. Have you talked to other people think like that before? Is he new? His bitterness. Listen, many of the people you see on the road that are wicked to you without reason are bitter people. You might not know it. Do you think, you know, whenever I hear about these SARS officials, I know the problem. They are bitter. It's the truth. Many of them hate the fact that there is a young person who is successful. Because they are not successful. The way they, t- they, they measure success. And then they are like, well, you've been privileged to have everything given to you in life. Uh, you, cannot, you cannot possibly have worked for the success you have attained. Bitterness now rises. Have you, those of you that are still in school, oh Jesus Christ, lecturers. Some of them are so bitter. Get out of my office. You know, when I was in school, there was this lecturer. Now, what happened was that I took his course. And his course was clashing with another course. And the school already had a procedure for that. If you have clashing courses, um, I, was, I was retaking his course. It was a carryover course. So I was retaking his course. His course was passing with another of my major courses. A three-unit course. So, there was a procedure. If you have, like, a carryover course, clashing, you go and you write to the registrar, they would exempt you. And as opposed to the 75% attendance mark, for those two courses, they would allow you to do 50%. I got my 50%. And this man refused to allow me to write the exam. Like, when he was sending, because when the lecturer is sending the names of people that qualify to write the exam, he's supposed to send your name to with your 50%. He didn't send my name. So every day I would go to his office. I, I literally spent hours at his office begging. Sir, what should I do for you? Please, anything. I need to write. Because it was my final year. It's not like I can write in a schedule. I couldn't do that. It was my final year. And then I went to beg this guy. I begged him. In fact, there was a day as I opened his door, he used the F word on me. Lecturer in Covenant University. F out of my office. So that day, as I, he got up, he banged the door in my face. I out of my mouth. So I opened the door back. And I entered into his office. And I said, sir, what did I do to you? I'm not joking, no. 
what did I do? To, like, what did I do to you? Like, have you met me before? Am I am I bad? Do I look? Like, he was not saying that you students, what you used to do is that you will go around because you think your parents. This is what he was saying to me. He had complained. He used to say this repeatedly because your parents have money. You think that life is easy. You'll be going around behaving anyhow because you feel life is easy. That's how you'll be misbehaving and be wasting your parents' money in school. So I called him that day. That day I was angry. I entered his office and I said, "What did I do to you? Why exactly do you assume I'm wasting my parents' money in school?" Do I look like the kind of person that wastes parents' money in school? I've been coming here repeatedly and the thing is the exam was the next week. I needed him to pass me so that, to clear me so that I can write my paper. And I'm like, do I look like that kind of person to you? And I said, eh, you know, some of these things, some of these students, I bring the paper, let me sign it for you so you get. So all the while, all I needed to do was shout at this man to reset his head. <laughs> bitterness some of the some of these people is bitterness and listen what many people don't know is bitterness is 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 murder that has not yet manifested is is murder that has not yet manifested so you happen in your heart you are bitter some of you if you see a knife in your heart you have you've stabbed that person to death you don't understand that what you are doing is you are creating conditions inside you that make it easier to do on the outside Do you understand what I'm saying? So in your relationships with people, in your relationships, in your romantic relationships, kill bitterness early. Don't give room to it. It is so easy to become bitter. At the beginning of this year, I told you that if you're going to see um, advancement in your life, you have to let go of bitterness. You must. You definitely have to. If you, you cannot advance in life with bitterness. Because everything you do in your life will not be for one purpose. To get back at that person you are bitter against. Have you seen people like that? And it's terrible. Some people, bitterness comes from jealousy. My last relationship before. (laughs) I took the girl out. We went to a restaurant to eat. Now in my home, we were groomed to use fork and knife. To eat everything except bread and tea. I'm not joking. Everything including a bar. That's, in fact, I can't forget. What happened was we went to Sheraton. My dad used to work in NNPC then. So we went to Sheraton for this gala event. And then my mom gave us fork and knife to eat. And we were messing up because we didn't know how to use the thing. She felt very embarrassed. She slapped me to baby Jesus that time. <laughs> I can't forget this slap. I remember where I was sitting. At. Last in Saint 17 when I took my babe there. I showed that at this spot... <laughs> A few years ago, I was slapped. <laughs> you know. And then we, we, we came back home to Lagos. And um, she made it mandatory. Everybody must use fork and knife to eat. My sister is here. You can ask her. Everybody uses fork. So I feel comfortable using fork and knife to eat most things. I eat fast with it. I'm very fast with it. So I took my babe out. And I was using fork and knife to eat. And then I noticed she became quiet. And like, Why are you quiet? And then she said, what are you trying to prove? Not my present girlfriend. What are you trying to prove? Are you trying to embarrass me? I said, no, I'm just eating. It's food. It's food we're eating. There's no ulterior motive to this eating. It's just food. And I'm paying for the food. So, I did not call you out to embarrass you. I don't have that kind of money yet. It was a big fight. It was a serious... For the rest of that relationship, I couldn't use for knife when we go out. I had to be using spoon. And then, and then I'm like, if I want to use my hand to eat the chicken outside, I will. I don't mind. I don't have, I'm not that kind of person that's shy. But just sometimes I like to use, I like to feel classy, you know? But no, because you are bitter. <laughs> you are jealous. What? Why are you jealous? Some people are jealous of the person they are dating. For what reason? You must learn to see that the person you are dating is a member of your team. And a win for the person is a win for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? I feel like I feel like things are working better for you in life. And so, ah, so, praise the Lord. 
kill those ideas and mentalities before you get into a relationship. If you are an insecure person, let me tell you now. Let me start saying it now. If you are an insecure person, deal with your insecurities. Are you listening to what I'm saying? And this is the first step to dealing with your insecurities. Start preaching the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself that you are complete in Christ. Nothing anybody has will complete you. And nothing anybody takes away from you will make you less complete. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Because of that, I can stand in front of anybody and still stand tall. Don't be the kind of person that starts to feel insecurity around people that are prosperous, rich. Or you start to feel inferior to people that are rich because of money. Money is important. Honestly, it is. But money does not complete you. Deal with those insecurities now. Some people will meet a person younger than them. But because the person arrived in a Benz, they start to cut you. Thank you so much for coming, ma. But the same people will meet somebody older than them. And because the person came in a bike, they insult you. You don't understand that you are... The person you've really insulted is yourself. Because you have told me that you have no value for yourself. Your value is determined by the other person. He's wrong. Men, if your lady is doing better than you financially, it is no cause to be insecure. Hey, listen to what I'm saying. You are a team. I don't know where the pride comes from. In this economy, you are proud. <laughs> I feel bad for you. I feel terribly bad for you. It's wrong. So kill the insecurity now. It is true that you should see that you have your responsibilities, okay, as a man. The Bible says it's your responsibility to feed the family. Don't even say, don't try to delegate it. It's not delegating matter. It's your duty. So walk and feed your family. Amen? Amen. The Bible says the man who cannot take care of his family is worse than an infidel. It's not me that said it. It's Paul that said it. You know Paul now? The guy, grace guy, he's the one that said it. So you must. But it is true that not every time um, with the way things are, with the way the economy is, there will be times when you will lack. It's, there's nothing demeaning about calling your babe or your wife and saying, can you help? Nothing demeaning about it. Are you listening to me? Ladies, if your guy is successful, be proud of him. Don't start to feel insecure. Some people cannot date a famous person not because they don't like the spotlight. They really love the spotlight. But because of jealousy, they will start to compete for fame. It's wrong. Are you listening to what I'm saying? See, competition is healthy in relationships. Or let me rephrase that. There are healthy competitions in relationships, and there are unhealthy competitions in relationships. Learn to compete healthily. Leave out all the unhealthy ones. Amen. Ladies, if the only reason you want to date a guy is because he looks successful, you have insulted yourself. Because you don't know you have value. You don't know you have worth. And listen, the first mentality a Christian must have going into a relationship is, I am complete. You are complete. We are two complete people coming to complete each other. Do you understand? So without you, I am still complete in Christ. So, I'm not going to... We're going to make compromises to make this relationship work. I'm going to let go of some things that I like just because you want other things that you like. And you will let go of things you like because I want other things I like. But my whole life is not about you. It's about Christ. Your whole life is not about me. It's about Christ. This relationship is about Christ. We find ourselves in Christ. You see, when you start to think like that, some things will just be easier for you. Some people want to do a big wedding, not because that's their dream. The only reason you want to be, do a big wedding is because it's big. You just want people to know that you have arrived. So you spend millions on your wedding and you start to fast. Compulsorily. 
after the wedding. You are not wise. See, kill jealousy and bitterness early. Envy and bitterness kill them early. They can drive you to do things that don't make any sense. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Uh uh-uh. uh. My brother married. They did their honeymoon at Bora Bora. I will do my honeymoon in Dubai under the sea. That's where we are doing our own. Because what? Because he did his own way, he wanted to do it. Where do you want to go? Calm down. And listen, let me say this now. No two relationships have the same dynamics. Are you hearing what I'm saying? No two relationships have the same dynamics. It is a big, abysmal mistake to now say, look at that relationship. Can't you see the way they are doing their own things? Why can't we do our own things like them? Ah. You don't know everything about that relationship. But you know everything about your own. So make your own work. Say he calls her every day. Why can't you call me every day? He's jobless. Your husband has a job. Or your boyfriend has a job. Him is jobless. He can afford to do that calling for four hours. And they'll be talking because the two of them are jobless. For you, you work a nine to nine. Your boyfriend works shifts. And both of you are really busy people. You can't afford to be four hours MPN, uh, over, you know, when we're in secondary school, midnight call. See, they always do midnight call. It's so cute. Why can't we do midnight call? Excuse me, you're, you're not doing midnight call because 5.30 a.m. you have to be on the way to work. His boyfriend, I'll be her boyfriend, does not have work to do. But you don't know that. And you now start to feel like you feel like your relationship is less because no don't do that there's comparison that is good i like the way they express their love let's try to express our love the way we can too are you listening listening to what i'm saying but don't say he's always hugging her outside so you to hug me outside so that what will happen Oh, he's always carrying her. You to carry me, boy. You're my size. <laughs> I feel bad for you. <laughs> because you want to kill the young man. Alright, the final point is respect. Respect. I think, I think I have covered respect in most of the teaching. So, I'll just run through it. Learn to respect one another. Learn to respect one another. Listen, there's this syndrome called see finish. Who knows what who knows what see finish? You've seen the guy finish. He has seen you finish. In English, it's over familiarity. Don't don't ever get too familiar with the person you are dating or you are married to. Keep that atom of respect. Teach yourself to do it. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Before you met him. He was, uh, now let me talk from the perspective of, of the minister of the gospel. Before you met him, he was our pastor. You now met him, he became honey. Then now you call him by his first name. Listen, it's not a sin. You won't go to hell for doing it. But you don't understand that what you have done is that you are diminishing respect levels in that relationship. Are you listening to what I'm saying? There are some things you cannot say about your spouse outside. Some things you can never say about your spouse outside. It's wrong. It's disrespectful. You see, ladies, you see somebody shouting at your husband and you put your mouth to shout. You are disrespecting him. Guys, you see somebody shouting at your wife and you just stand by, tell her. Because I've been telling her, but she does not listen. Maybe if you tell her, she will hear. You don't have sense. (laughs) You're very disrespectful. It's wrong. Don't do that. As a couple, have a mutual relationship mentor. What I mean is somebody both of you can talk to when matters are getting out of hand. It could be your parents, if your parents are the understanding kind. The kind that know boundaries and respect boundaries. Alright? It could be your pastor. But it is wrong that everybody knows what is happening in your relationship. Everybody that cares to hear. 
In fact, some of you, it stays by moonlight. You come back, your roommates are waiting, you give them the Jesus. You don't respect your spouse. You don't respect your spouse. He is wrong. Don't act that way. Don't act that way. Learn to give respect to the person you are dating. It will save you a lot of stress. Hey, listen to what I'm saying. All right.